Welcome to Chatting with Chemeketa, the show where we talk about everything related to the college. Whether you're someone considering coming to Chemeketa or you're a current student, an alum, a member of the community, or part of our business and industry, we've got you covered. I'm Jessica Howard. I'm the president of Chemeketa Community College. And I'm Les Wilgus. And did you ever wonder how college students can get help with non-school-related challenges? For example, mental health resources or help with paying internet or utility bills or any number of potential other obstacles that get in the way of completing your education. Those are great questions, Les, because actually those um, sort of what we might think of as attendant issues, not the central issue of what we do in the community college, which is provide education. It's like, oh, and I assume that you don't have problems with rent or that you're not hungry in class. I mean, I'm just assuming that what we're focused on here is education. What we're realizing more and more is how incredibly critical those other aspects are. And so um, it's, it's our job to help address those issues just like any other that happen in the classroom because it's the full student who walks in, not just the brain, but the full student, right? I try to imagine what that would I, look I just, like. I just had a visual on that. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you and imagining just a great big brain right here. <laughs> but, um, but I just, I th- there's so many, um, th- there's so much there that is really, really critical to a student's success. And so today it's my great pleasure to welcome Jasmine Carroll to the program. She is Chemeketa's resource navigator. So welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Les and Jessica. I'm really honored to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what kind of resources are available to students? Yeah, definitely. So um, my position is a result of the House Bill 2835, and um, it was passed as a result of uh, the Oregon state government realizing that a lot of basic needs weren't being met um, amongst Oregon constituents especially college students. So this bill was in response to hopefully getting students and other people within the community that do access community colleges and public universities and colleges connected to these different resources um, for uh, for basic needs. So Jasmine, when you say basic needs, what do you mean by that? Basic needs is go- really going to be the crux of what I'm talking about today. <laughs> so it's definitely a good thing that uh, we're defining that now. So thank you, Jessica. Um, basic needs are anything that you would need on a daily or a regular basis. So things like childcare, transportation, um, housing, food, um, things things of that nature. So really anything that you would, if you kind of go through the list of things that you need, what are you using pretty much every day? Um, or, you know, at least once or twice a week, things like soap, hygiene products, uh, clothing. <laughs> um, but you're you're really serious that we're, we're talking about some needs that you might think um, kind of go without saying that, right. that everyone in the classroom should have. Right. You know, and and when most of us wake up in the morning where we're kind of in that routine of, okay, I have to get up, I have to brush my teeth, I have to take a shower, I have to pick out my clothes. What we don't really think about is that a lot of our students don't have that luxury. They don't even have a bed to wake up in. They don't uh, they don't get to just wake up and say, okay, let me head to the restroom and, you know, Uh, use my toothbrush and brush my teeth so I can take care of them Mm -hmm. so I don't have to see a dentist constantly so I don't have more problems down the road. Um, You know, let me take a shower so that I upkeep my hygiene Mm -hmm. so I don't have more problems down the road. 
it's it's a lot of things that we take for granted every day are just not available to students. Well, you know what 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 I think comes to mind with a lot of folks out in the community is I I don't think about people being houseless or people being hungry in a college setting. I mean, it just seems like that's that's something that we would assume that someone who is able to access and succeed in college would have issues with, right? It seems so foundational. Um, and in fact, we had a, uh, we did the HOPE survey, which was um, something that we did in 2020. And it showed that Chemeketa had something like 65% of the students who responded to the survey, and they were significant numbers, it was a legitimate survey, experienced housing or food insecurity uh, in the last year or whatever the parameters were they were testing. It was really significant, 65%, and that tracks with the state average for community colleges. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the, data that we had was um, something like, I want to say 51% of students um, experienced housing insecurity in some sense or another. So just the housing Um, piece. Yeah, just the housing piece. And then um, I want to say it's something along the lines of 43% back when we did the HOPE survey was uh, food insecurity within the last day. Within the last day? Yes. Look at that. That It's unbelievable. mm -hmm. Yeah. So the need is just absolutely vast. And um, that's not even taking into consideration, you know, um, and that's just on the on campus. That's not taking into consideration, you know, the students who have families at home that are dealing with the same thing. Well, they have a place to come on campus and, you know, they might be safe and have a place to be during class or, you know, between classes in the library, access different uh, resources and funds and, you know, uh, anything that will help. But what about their families? What right. about the other people who are connected to them that don't have these things to access. So if I'm a student and I'm in that category, or if a teacher notices, because I think sometimes it's really the the staff and faculty who are have the most contact with students who might notice, right, that uh, someone's, you know, appearing faint in the classroom or whatnot, you know, because they haven't eaten or, you know, whatever the signs may be. Or if, you know, or if, you know, that just you know, that is something I'm experiencing. How do I make use of the resource that you provide? Yeah, so that's kind of a tricky question because there's so many aspects to it. Uh, One is definitely the stigma about uh, accessing basic needs resources. You're uh, a a lot of students and people in general, when they are trying to access these uh, resources, they don't want to reach out to anyone. They don't want people to know their struggle. So one of the things uh, we have available is a student resources web page on the public Chemeketa website. And that's definitely a self-serve option. Most of the resources that I would be talking to students about are listed on there so that they can access them at their own pace. They don't have to communicate with somebody or, you know, kind of go through the perceived embarrassment of having to ask for these things. They can do it all on their own schedule. However, uh, I did make it a point to make sure that all of my contact information and referral instructions and everything are at the very top of the page in case they can't find what they're looking for or they're just so overwhelmed by their situation or with all the options that they have and and things that uh, they, they just need someone to help lead them. And, you know, as the resources navigator, it's my, it's my job to help navigate, <laughs> help them navigate through all the different resources and um, uh, items that they have on campus or even off campus that they can utilize. 
How, how do they know that you exist? They may have problems, uh, you know, with whatever, any one of these items. How do they know to find you? Yeah, the, the student resources in, in general. Yeah, so um, that is... It's, it's been kind of a, a long road. So when we first started, uh, my position was first on campus. I This was not only a new position to me, it was a new position to the entire school. It was a new position to pretty much every other school in, in Oregon that had this, um, had the benefits navigator um, position and they were starting these programs. So it re- it did take a lot of outreach. It took a lot of reaching out to, um, you know, staff and faculty that we know are going to have constant contact with students, uh, frontline staff, um, like I said, faculty, admin, um, uh, putting things like syllabi statements in. Oh, good in, idea. Um, yeah, including syllabi statements in their, in their syllabi for student resources. Mm-hmm. Maybe taking, inviting me to talk in their classes the first couple of weeks of term and just letting them know that this is something that exists. You know, putting on events that will bring students in and then also saying, hey, by the way, did you know that there are all these different resources on campus for you? So yeah. um, it's still a work in progress. You know, not sure. every student knows about the student, uh, the resources navigator or student resources. But yeah, we're getting there and, you know, just trying to make as many connections as possible on campus, not only with uh, faculty, but also other programs that, that serve students. So, um, and just letting them know, hey, you know, um, you can't help with X, Y, and Z, but I might be able to. So if there's a student who is also looking for additional resources in this area that you don't necessarily know about, go ahead and send them over to me. So it's all really just a lot of networking and making sure that not only students, but staff know that there is this resource that they can refer students. Well, face to face would help a lot, exactly. I think, because yeah. still, you know, I mean, you have to, you can have a website, you can have all right. sorts of things out there, but if, you know, they don't even know where to look. Right. You know, they right. don't know to look up. They don't know it's there. So, exactly. You know. Yeah. So, could you could you tell me going back to this house bill? Mm-hmm. Um, how does it, how did things change before the house bill and afterwards? What what specifically? How did this help? Yeah. So the. The point of this House bill was really to ensure that students knew how to get to resources and what, you know, with a lot of the data and the surveys that were out, um, people in the community just didn't know about a ton of these resources that existed, um, you know, whether it's in within the community or on campus or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you could pretty much pick a random person and say, hey, did you know that there's rental assistance available through X, Y, and Z institution? And they would most likely say, no, I had no idea that existed. Where can I find that information, etc.? So it really was found, it, I guess it was really to address the fact that people just don't know that there are these resources available. So in having someone like me who job is pretty much to find out about all these different resources I can then you know um, not inundate the the student market I guess but just really help intersperse these resources to students who need them and really just um, 
help with the education portion of it, really. That's right. what it real that's what it kinda of comes down to. Yeah, before the bill we didn't have benefits navigators. Mm-hmm. So what the bill did was it funded a benefits navigator for every one of the seventeen community colleges in the state. Right. And that's how we were able to hire Jasmine into that position that was funded by the state. Okay. So it's basically mm-hmm. providing capacity mm-hmm. for us to make use of the amazing talents of Jasmine to connect students up to, because, you know, I think there's an inherent difficulty in terms of students not wanting to embarrass themselves, not want to perform their poverty by retelling their story over and over again, or whatever the issue is. And so it's tricky because it's like, you know, well, we've got this, uh, this food pantry, so just come and get it. Well, a lot of people don't come and get it. So it it is, it is complicated. And it's also complicated. You, You see different patterns by gender, like, um, generally speaking, men are far less comfortable um, saying that they need help. So what I heard from someone who, who works in the space that Jasmine's in all the time was that you don't ask, like, a male student um, if he's hungry. You ask him when he ate last, and he'll say, oh, mm-hmm. yesterday morning. Like, okay, well, how about coming with me? And then you don't say, how, how many sandwiches would you like? He'll say one. I'm generalizing, obviously, like crazy. <laughs> you say, here are three coupons, and you just uh, you know, do what you need to do with them. Mm-hmm. And so, and th- but this is a pattern of, it's, it's, it's the how to ask. So the having the benefits navigator role is so key because it, it puts in points all around our systems and our processes, so it's sort of an unavoidable resource for students. Right, and, and uh, like Jessica was saying, you know, there's it's you have to ask certain demographics and groups very specifically otherwise they're more likely to not access a resource either because they feel like you know like Jessica was saying they're having to perform their trauma and their poverty over and over again Um, but it it really just kind of comes down to uh, making sure that this information is as readily available as possible and making it so common that it there's no stigma associated with, hey, I'm going to go down to the food pantry. Yeah, Jasmine, this is such important work. We're so incredibly uh, happy to have you uh, doing this. I think student success has a lot to do with some of these basic needs being met, and um, you just do amazing work. If any of you have any questions about how to access these important resources, please write to us at chatter at chemeketa.edu and we'll answer your questions through email or on an upcoming show. So thank you so much, Jasmine, for your care and commitment to our students. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to talk a little bit more about this. That sounds great. All right, it's time to take a 30-second break and we'll be back with two brand new programs from Chemeketa in the field of health information management. So stay tuned. Chemeketa Community College's Popular Bolt program is returning this summer. If you will be graduating in 2023 or will be a senior this fall, Chemeketa is offering free college classes, including complimentary textbooks, during the upcoming summer term. This program, called Bolt, consists of five-week intensive classes and starts on June 26th. Don't miss your opportunity to get a head start on college. Email college credit now at chemeketa.edu or call 503-399-5239 for more information. Welcome back to Chatting with Chemeketa. 
Joining us now is Dana Nolan, who is the force behind our two new health information management certificates at the college. Hello, Dana. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is an unbelievable opportunity. Oh, an opportunity is is all we want to give. No, but, uh, <laughs> um, no, okay, so I have a very simple question. What is What exactly is health information management? Well, interestingly enough, it does not have a simple answer, but I will try to simplify it the best I can. Health information management is a giant umbrella encompassing all things that manage and protect a patient's medical record. It can, it can include careers from registration, revenue cycle, to informatics and data analytics. When you see a healthcare professional in any facility, a medical record is generated. That's called your chart. One chart can be touched by so many healthcare professionals. HIM assures that the chart is only being accessed by the appropriate professional and that the information is accurate. We will be offering two new certificates, one in billing and one in coding, both of which fall under the HIM umbrella. They are also both 100% online. Oh, wow. Now, has that been the case in the past or is this a new development? This is a new development. Okay. Is it uh, intended to take all these different databases? Because, you know, there's a MyChart over here. There's, mm -hmm. you know, the dermatologist has one over here. Is it intended to make it all into one? No. Okay. It's, it's, so when you go to a doctor's visit, this would be a job of a medical coder. You go to your doctor's visit. You have a reason why they see you for a certain period of time. You get a service. There's a diagnosis and there's a procedure. That then goes to a biller who does the charge and sends out the billing to whoever the payer is for the insurance company. So it's the my chart is for patients to use themselves. Mm. Coding is billing is to capture the actual uh, visits, whether it's hospital, uh, physical therapy, any medical services. And do, do all of those kinds of healthcare providers use the same systems and no. software? Okay. No, they do not. So is that something then that this kind of, that our, our program helps students and graduates navigate? Is that this one looks different than this one? Yes, okay. we will be able to do that. There will be something called an encoder mm. that no matter what the name brand of the encoder is later, um, they will at least have an idea of how to access information. We will be using real, real patient charts. And how long are these two certificate programs? How long does it take for a student to? Nine months. That's, Nine months? Yeah. That's great. Yes. Do they, are there prereqs for the program? No. Okay. So you can just come in, yes, and then nine months later, and you're doing this mm -hmm. all online, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Then you have your credential at the end of it. What are your options then? Do you go right into the workforce? Does it go into another certificate, or you can? We will prep you to take certification exams through okay. AAPC. Oh boy. Both there's a certification exam in coding and also one in billing. Um, there's a forty hour um, work. Was it like an internship? Internship, or? thank okay. you. We call yeah. it a practicum. Okay. There's a 40-hour practicum that they will all students will be doing, which is fantastic because they get their foot in the door and get some some real life experience, um, and then hopefully from there they'll get a job or a uh, referral for a job that another student might have at their practicum. They may have two openings, mm. something like that. So yes, they should be able to go right in and start. 
And so who will be their employer for the most part? Um, what employers will be hiring them? Any medical facility. So any medical clinic, hospital. Hospitals. And interestingly enough, pet hospitals hire <laughs> coders and billers because there's pet insurance. Sure. Oh. So that is another aspect of it. So insurance companies, safe, nursing homes. Every medical facility has some sort of a billing. If they're charging a fee, mm -hmm. there's some sort of billing and coding that has to be done. So, so what is the difference between the billing one and the coding one? And would you want both certificates or you only one? You could do both. And traditionally, when you see on late night TV, um, it says earn your degree coding and billing, right? Okay. Everyone is familiar with that. Traditionally, it is together. However... In the workforce, it is separate. Oh. There are coders and there are billers. Wow. And coders and billers usually prefer one or the other. They rarely like both. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. So a person could come in and take both certificates. Okay. And um, there would be one right after the other. You couldn't do both at the same time. No, I, yeah. I think that... Maybe someone could, but it's going to be intensive. Right. Right. There's a lot of, um, we we took the prerequisites out, but somehow we have to kind of stuff them in there. Sure. So we sure. want to be able to uh, have time to do all the things that mm -hmm. they need to learn. So it'll be a little intensive. So if I'm someone who likes the billing less mm -hmm. and you're someone who likes the coding and we go through this nine-month program, mm -hmm. what kind of uh, salaries are we talking about and, and what kind of is, is this the kind of work that we could even do from home okay or, that's what I was wondering about too I but, have you know, that I, sounds like a perfect you know I, I have yeah. both of those answers this I'm is so great. ready because I knew this was going to get asked um, I didn't want a pay scale that was found on the government site somewhere so last Friday nice. I went and looked on Marion Polk and Yamhill counties for coders and billers because the jobs are separate um, the average starting salaries were 17 to 19 dollars per hour most of the positions will be in an office setting um, the positions will normally have great benefits and paid time off. Um, the opportunities for advancement under the HIM umbrella are endless. After a few years' experience, you could become an auditor in either coding or claims, work in quality insurance, or even teach documentation to medical providers, which is what I have done in my career. Wow. And that is an amazing experience. Hmm. But to ask, answer your question about working at home, it's the question everyone asks, and there are remote coding positions. However, it's most likely as a new coder, you will start in an office, at least during your training. There are, because of COVID, so we always think of COVID negatively, but it has bought, brought a positive spin to coding hmm. and billing, and that is there's more remote opportunities than ever since COVID, but most employees require an uninterrupted work environment. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to, of course you have to do some training, you know. Yes. You just sit at home from the beginning. Right? Yes. Right. right. Sounds like there are lots of options. Yeah. We never found out who's going to be making more money then. Would it be Jessica the, the, as a biller the, the, the or me salaries, as a coder? <laughs> the salaries are so similar. Mm, right. Okay. They're so similar. But could, it, you, could you maybe explain exactly what does a coder do? Briefly, 
Okay, the yeah. coding is the is the person who looks at the chart note after the provider sees a patient, looks at the documentation, and uh, puts the code on for let's say you have a sinus infection or the or flu or COVID. And make sure There's that codes it's all for good. All that. There's thousands and thousands of codes mm. for every illness and disease. So you have to get the correct code. You have to get the correct Otherwise, code. Otherwise there's a problem with the insurance, isn't yes, there? Yes, and then mm-hmm. you also have to apply what procedure was done. How long did they spend in the medical office? Did you get a cast? Did you have surgery at a surgery center? So the place of that you're being seen mm. also is a code. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everything has a code. So the whole, exp- the whole healthcare experience then around the patient is coded. Yes. In different ways. Every And even experience. for Fido, Fido the dog. Yes. Uh, oh. in, a, in a healthcare yeah, I thought yes. Fido was Setting some for kind of the... acronym. No. Me like, too. What does Fido stand <laughs> Me for? Me too. And I was like, I'm, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know Fido. No, Fido the dog. <laughs> I have no who's, idea. He's getting a cast on his little leg. Uh, yes. But, but it's the same idea because you have insurance. So yes. you're going to need to have the coding. You're yes. going to need to have it sort of all translated into codes. And then what is the, and then I guess the biller. Okay, so the biller takes all of that information, okay. puts it on a claim form, which is pretty standardized, depending on who the payer is, mm-hmm. governmental payers, private insurance payers, um, and then makes sure that's all accurate and it all makes sense. So they didn't get billed a a cast or stitches for a sinus infection. So there's a certain amount of problem solving, and then they send that out for the claim to get paid, and that's all electronic. Then the claim comes back, and it's either paid or denied. If it's denied, we have to find out why. Do we resubmit a claim? Mm. Did the patient not have that Mm -hmm. coverage? Um, And also on the billing side, too, I should say, um, there's a beginning part, too, from uh, registering the patient. Um, do they have their insurance card? Did they pay their copay? Mm. Um, and what are their benefits? And are they covered today? So that's another part of the billing billing cycle. Yeah. Now, overall, all of these jobs, depending on where you work, can be intertwined. Mm-hmm. We will be mixing it up a little in the courses. Billing has to know a little bit about coding. And coding has to know a little bit about billing. So we're going to try to do that. Sure. Oh, that's a big job. I, I know, think I'm a coder. Are you? I think I'm more of a coder than a biller. What do you think? Uh, you know, I'm for me. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, maybe I might be a biller because I'm I'm I'm, I'm a numbers guy. You know. Mm-hmm. So well, well um, so so if we want to engage in starting, this, yeah, can we we be a team? Can we be a team? Billy, but, but, Billy but, and Cody team. <laughs> well, but here's the thing: if we were to do that, when do these programs start? Because these are new at Chemeca, right? New. So how, how they, do I get into the, the class? They classes? start in the fall, and uh, you need to affl- apply. They are limited to 15 students each because okay. they are intensive. Um, you can apply at our website at go.chemeca.edu forward slash HIM. And there's lots of information on there and the application. And the students also, because it's a nine-month program, qualifies for federal and state financial aid. Yes, the financial aid has been approved for these programs. Right. So that and that's huge because mm-hmm. in many cases, you know, um, because it's, say that again, because it's a nine-month because program. Because it's long enough. It's long, long enough. enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. um, and that's that's often that is the you know the deal maker or breaker is you know what kind of aid. Yeah. is out there for me to access to right. be able to use the programs. And that's what students, potential students should be doing right now is completing the FAFSA or mm-hmm. the ORSA so that they can be considered for all of those um, uh, 
state and federal options. And then right. that would, I mean, for a nine-month program, I mean, that time is going to pass anyway. Yes. So what do you want at the end of it? And right. do you want a new career? And right. this one, the, what excites me the most, Dana, about what you said is that it leads into so many different places. You know, when you said it's sort of like an endless career ladder. It really is. It really is. And we yeah. are, as far as I know, the only one to offer the certificate separately. Okay. Separately, coder biller. A coder okay. and a biller separate okay. instead of a combined combined program. And this is new. This is brand new. So it starts this fall. It starts this fall. But they can do their application today. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can still get in less. Yeah. <laughs> you can still I, you know, get I'm, in. I'm usually the one who needs to have my coding and billing <laughs> figured out. You I know? see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I you know, I so appreciate learning about this program because my my guess is that all of us when we go and do our, you know, we take care of our health and go through these many appointments, we, we've experienced it from the customer side when someone asks us for our insurance card and, and all the things back and forth. But So it's like we sort of know, but we don't really know. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like a really viable career option and a short-term one that's, that has so many opportunities and benefits. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, Dana, and talking to us about this. Just get another mm-hmm. fabulous program at Chemeketa. Amazing what Chemeketa has to offer. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> um, anyway, so excited that we'll be launching this soon. Um, and then listeners, if you want to know more about what we've been talking about, be sure to email us at chatter at chemeketa.edu. And you can also send us comments about the show or suggestions for future topics. And again, that email is chatter at chemeketa.edu. You said that so many times now without without a tongue twister uh, to you know, so that's, you're really getting really good at it. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, certainly uh, I've learned a lot today as well, and uh, look forward to learning even more on upcoming episodes of Chatting with Chemeketa. Uh, so be sure to join us again next time. Same chat time, same <laughs> chat channel. <laughs> I'm Les Wilgus. And I'm Jessica Howard. Bye. Bye.